Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition, episode number 24 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. My name is Jim. Jake is unavailable to join us this week. We'll be back with us for episode number 25 next week. But filling in for him this week as our co-host is a friend of mine, Matt Young, who is a hitting coach in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Him and I have had many conversations. We've developed a friendship over the past couple of years, and we've had many conversations about hitting, and I'm glad that he was able to join us. We've talked about previous uh, topics that Jake and I discussed on previous episodes uh, and much, much more. So glad you're with us today. Be sure also to like and subscribe to the podcast for new episodes every Monday at 9 a.m. And email us your questions, your topic ideas, whatever the case may be. It doesn't really matter. JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. And check out our YouTube page for archived episodes and clips from previous episodes as well. So here is my co-host for the week, episode number 24 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast, and we thank him for joining us, Matt Young. Matty Young, Matty Young, thanks for doing it, man. I appreciate it. Um, hope all is well. Congrats on the new baby. How are we? How are we doing here? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. We we're just talking off air. It's interesting how this year has brought so much uncertainty, and and now here we are in October, and it's like that six months that was supposed to be the season has gone by so quickly. So, what have you been up to? Um, I mean. Not a lot, and a lot all at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, just with with COVID and everything else, it's been very stressful. So I feel like it's taken a whole, taken some years off my life. <laughs> yeah. With with a baby on the way, and then she finally came last month, or yeah, last month. She'll be a month old in two days. It's it's that's the silver lining, I think, in, yeah. in all of this. But um, yeah, just missing baseball. Just missing baseball a lot. Yeah. So. We're, Blue Jays uh, eliminated from the postseason. It's like just you find yourself watching other games and rooting for other teams like the Padres because they're fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and, and just counting down the days till next spring training. Yeah. Yeah. Ho- hoping for a new, hoping for something better in a new year. I was going to ask you who your favorite hitter is right now in all of Major League Baseball. I think I might have the answer because you kind of alluded to who you like to watch, but. Well, I, no, that, I think that's an easy answer. Um, Tatis is fun to watch. Yeah. Like in all of the big leagues, like personally, it's Kirky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's just super biased. Um, uh, I I really I don't think that I can go off script too much on like playing like chalk. You know, I love watching Trout. Um, Tatis is just you know he's special. Yeah. Uh, Bo is. Again, somebody that you just—he does some things that that normal people don't do. Um, Vladdy, yeah. Um, and then obviously Kirky. You know, I'm, I am I am biased towards our guys, right? But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been those guys are they're fun to watch because they all do things differently and, and they all find ways to be successful. Yeah. So what we're gonna do here today is sort of just go through some previous episodes that we've done here on the lab Epstein hitting podcast and um, just kind of I want to touch on some topics that we talked about 
and just get your opinion. And you mentioned Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and we did an episode with him, um, a mechanical break. We call them our mechanical breakdown series, and it goes along with, with video. And we did one uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. And I want to get your thoughts on Vlad and, and what he does so well at the plate, mechanically, psychologically, and what will make him continue this success in the future. Okay. Um, like you're asking me right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, Putting you on the spot. This, this I, is what we do yeah, on the lab here. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think I can give you a real answer on the psychological part. The, you know, the only real time I've been able to to work with Vladdy personally was when he was rehabbing, and, and I don't have that like I don't have that relationship with him that mm-hmm. I would have with a guy that I'd feel more comfortable answering that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he's uber confident in what he does, though. You know, yeah. just the conversations we've had, um, which is minimal. He's, he's uber confident in what he does and, and who he is and, and his ability to, to go up there and actually do some damage. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I think that's on that end. That's what he does mechanically. I think he sequences up really well. Yeah. Um, when he's on, I think his load is with the toe tap and everything, getting everything kind of going and getting everything into position. Um, it's it's very very good. Yeah, and, and then he can be a little steep to the ball, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think that that's. I think it's a byproduct of the fact that the game now is everybody throws up fastballs up in the zone, and everybody's attacking with a hundred at, at, at your shoulders. You know, guys that are going into this, trying to work up to the baseball and create launch angle instead of understanding that launch angle is a result. Um, it's like one plus one equals two. Like yeah. You can't man. You don't want to manufacture two. Two is there. Um, like you don't want to. You you manufacture with other other things, not your swing. Working up to it, like he's he's a guy that gets pitched firm up in the zone, and I think yeah. that that's one of those things. He's got such good hands, and he comes from a family where obviously his dad had amazing hands as well. So I think it's just a byproduct of all those things. Yeah, Jake has touched on uh, um, his hand path and, and how good that is, and and how it's, it's it's something that will help him just be consistent throughout a major league season. And like you said, with the way he's being pitched now, it's it's huge to have that good hand path. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things where, like, if you were to give me a guy that works straight up to the baseball and a guy that works straight down to the baseball. Like the guys that that can get flatter sooner are tend to be more successful. Yeah. So I'm gonna go. We're gonna move on here, and and this is not the greatest segue, but you and I were talking off air about um, robo zones, the possibility of robo zones. We did an episode on that as well. I'm guessing you're not a huge fan of it. I'm not. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe I'm wrong, but I want to get your thoughts on what the robotic strike zone could mean for the future of hitters and the game of baseball in general? I think that they're, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that that's like a, oh, I'm get off my lawn type thing. Um, I, I've, I embrace the technology. I think the technology is cool, and I think that using the a RoboZone in some robo umpires in some capacity is actually a really good idea but like i got to i got the opportunity to go out to the fall league for like a week this year or last year i guess 
and I watched a two games where they used the robot umpires. Yes. There's a, there's an umpire behind home plate, but he wasn't really making calls. They were waiting, like for somebody in his ear to say ball or strike. And I watch it, it. It just takes so much away from the game. Like if you go ask a catching guy if they think that robot umpires are good, every, I, I believe every catching guy is going to be like, no, it's trash. Yeah. Because it just takes away the beauty of framing and mm-hmm. catching the ball the right way and you know trying to buy strikes and as much as we hate pitches being stolen from us as hitters like if you can lock a guy into a certain spot I mean again when we played it was alright this guy doesn't give up but he gives down or this guy doesn't give out but he gives in and, and so you could still lock umpires in um, and it wasn't this perfect zone right but that, that's also you have to build relationships with the people you're working with which are the umpires which yeah. are the catchers your teammates finding out what umpires are calling and and then <laughs> and then you can go out and hit I think now with with robot umpires not quite there but just that metric out there where umpires are their backs are against the wall right now like every call they miss is blown up on TV because there are strike zones out there. Like, they're trying to cover the whole plate. They're trying to call the whole the whole strike zone. And I know it sounds dumb to, to hear the words, but, like, hitters can't cover the whole plate. Right. Like, you can't cover every part of the zone. And I don't think umpires can cover every part of the zone either. Yeah. Like, there's they're going to be blind spots, just like in, like, cameras or whatever. Whatever, you know, like... And the fact that they're trying to cover everything is leading to more missed calls, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly. You made a great point there about about how they're they're trying to overcompensate now at this point with their strike zones because they're almost trying to be too perfect, and it's affecting yeah. the game. It, it is. And, but it's, it's affecting the game in a real sense, and it's affecting the game in the beauty sense. Like, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> It, I, I again going back to the ball league. I watched the guy throw a breaking ball that bounced. Yeah, it bounced like just behind the plate. Apparently, it clipped the bottom of the zone, according to TrackMan or Eagle Eye or whatever the hell they were using. And it was called a strike. It was strike three, and it, was, it happened to be a guy that was on our team, and he got thrown out of the game because he's the ball bounced. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but that's just, it takes away the beauty of the game. Like, there's no finesse now. Yeah. Like, catchers don't have to be good. They don't have to make things look good. They can just butcher balls because that's ah, just got to get in the zone. Pitchers don't have to hit spots. They just got to try to fill up the zone now. Like, it's just, it takes away the beauty of the game, I think. And mm-hmm. what I would do, and I think I, we, we had a discussion on this, um, in the off or in the season, yeah, in, in our season, off season season, where what I would do is I would say you can give the guys an earpiece, especially in the minor leagues, yeah. and and give them the chance. Like you have another umpire up there, and it's just every call. It's like yes or no. Like mm-hmm. just they call it, but then you they have somebody reinforcing. Like yeah, that's a strike. You got that right. Or no, that's a ball off. Mm-hmm. Or that ball's down. Even though they, you know what I'm saying. Or yeah. you missed that one. That's a strike. Yeah. And just kind of let them know in the middle of the game so that maybe they can fix it during the game. And then if we're going to use challenges, why can't we challenge one ball or strike ball 
last three innings of a game. What about the, the cool. what about the element of of if this robot umpire thing is going to work, then you have to really define the strike zone. It has to have a defined strike zone. It can't be that human strike zone where at times yeah. it's kind of all there has to be a real defined strike zone that doesn't change umpire to umpire. Yeah. I mean that's that's something that's the argument I'm just giving you I'm giving the counter argument no, I guess for what people it, say, it, you know. I think that's a fair argument. And I'm not it's for not the robo a robo zones by the way, but but that's just I the counter that, argument. I think that's a real argument and I think that that's I think that that's valid. Like you can't you can't sit here and say, "Well, no, I don't want a standardized strike zone." Like I, we all want a standardized strike zone. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But we all also understand that like there are degrees. There are degrees to wanting, wanting that standardization. Like yeah. we don't want a ball that's going to bounce, mm-hmm. be called a strike because a quarter of a millimeter hit the hit the bottom edge of the zone. Yeah, and so it's called a strike. Like there needs to be some sort of line of delineation where you are actually using some common sense as well. And the op- I think the optics are a big deal. Like. We argue on optics, right? Mm-hmm. Like from the dugout, you won't you won't really ever hear me complain about in or out, but I can see up and down. Yeah. And as a hitter, when I you know, we hitters know a little bit more. But as a as a fan, like as a fan, you're gonna sit there and watch a game, and you're gonna be like, man, that how can he call that a striker? Where was that pitch? Why didn't he swing at that? That's the that's the big. Yeah. Why didn't he swing at that? Because mm-hmm. it looks down the middle. Mm-hmm. So we use our eyes, and so if you're going to take away the, the beauty and the optics of the game where catchers don't have to make things look good anymore, or umpires just have to wait and listen, and there's no like locking in and really trying to work, and then, and then you, you take away relationships with umpires. Mm-hmm. Like some of the best, I mean, we've all heard like the This Week in Baseballs, and just we all want umpires mic'd up, players mic'd up. Like those are good conversations. And when you find umpires that you can work with that are personable, that you can actually talk to with respect, yeah, and vice versa, like they're allowed to miss calls. Like it's a human, it's a human game. I don't see, I don't see anybody. And I guess this is extreme, but nobody's asking for like robot referees in the NBA, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or 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 in the NFL. Like yeah. they took away the pass interference challenge. Yeah. So it's like. Like, there is a human element, and we don't like it sometimes when it goes when it doesn't go our way. But when it goes our way, we seem to be okay with it. So, like, why can't we embrace continuing to strive for perfection, knowing that we'll never get there, and and, and embrace the the human element of baseball, which is what's always made it beautiful. Yeah. By the way, uh, for the audience listening, uh, Matt was is the I've been in the game six years. Matt is the only hitting coach that I've seen in person get ejected from a game. It came last June in Daytona, June of 2019. Huh. I think that was the Nate Nate Pearson's final start in in at the, the advanced day level. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It was a bad ejection. Yeah. Um, I did get a we kick out of it. Thrown out twice last year, though, Jim. That's right. Why? I, that was the only got, time that stuck out to me, though, for whatever reason. I got thrown out in Jupiter for telling the umpire to be better. Yeah, that was frustrating. Talk about <laughs> talk about thin skin. By the way, follow yeah. Matt on Twitter uh, at Matty Joven seventeen. That's Joven with a J, or Matty Joven. Yes. 
Matty Hoven. Matty Hoven. Yeah, Matty Hoven. Matty 17. New father and all. Um, continuing on here with the show, and Matt is filling in today for Jake, um, out for personal reasons, unable to do the episode, so my buddy Matt is filling in today, and um, we've talked before on, on moving on here, uh, just looking at some of my, my notes on the prep sheet, um, you have um, now you have a daughter now, and we, we, had, we had a softball episode that we did uh, back on May 25th. Um, and I'm going to put you again on the spot here, but how similar, how similar, hey, you didn't know what you're signing up for. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not saying it's ever again. Um, how similar are, are softball swings and baseball swings? Obviously there's, there's a lot of differences scientifically in terms of the pitch and coming down at you in baseball rather than, rather than a rise ball, so to speak. But, um, I would imagine the swings are, are pretty similar in many elements. Ah. I don't know. I I don't. The softball swings I've looked at look like baseball swings. Yeah. And okay. So like I I think slow pitch softball is different. But mm-hmm. when you when you look at the the girls that are like college world series, the professionals, mm-hmm. like those even in high school, like those swings are good. The ones that the ones that are good, those are good swings. Mm-hmm. Backside goes first. They're sequenced up like. They're flat in the they're into the zone flat. Mm-hmm. Like they're not working they're they're not working up. They're not like they're good swings. The barrel stays in the zone a long time. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you have to be good. I mean, we, from, what was it? It's the nineties, right? When Jenny Finch came out and yeah. blew Albert Pujols away. And A Rod, yeah. Like, yeah, like you have to have a good swing to be able to hit from that close doing that. Um, I. Yeah, I think that I think that they're more similar. And people want to give them credit for. Yeah. I think when we hear softball, we think like slow pitch softball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't. We don't actually think about the this competitive, real world, high level softball that these women are playing. That obviously they're doing a very good job of. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have the Jessica Mendozas and the Jenny Finches coming out and broadcasting baseball games, like. There are similar. There are more similarities than I think some people want to give credit for. I agree, and a lot of people don't like Jessica Mendoza calling a game. I like hearing her talk about hitting a lot. I think she's very good um, and knows the swing of baseball very, very well. Um, let me ask you about <clears throat> something you and I have talked about in the past, and we've touched on on this show as well: exit velocity, uh, attack angle, and launch angle. Um, you and I have talked, and you explained to me in great detail uh, about launch angle last year. Um, uh, and we've talked about exit velocity and how a hitter has to have a certain exit velocity. I think we've determined that at this point. We have the data to prove that you need a certain exit velocity to, to play at the big league level and to move up in a minor league system. Uh, what's the difference, though, in your words, uh, between attack angle and launch angle? Um, and if, Is there a more importance to one rather than the other? Uh, personally, I think attack angle is a more important one. Okay. That's the one you can control. Again, mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier, it's Launch angle is the end of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's it, it, that's that's the result, and like that's not important. Mm-hmm. I, that, that's something you can't really control. Like if I was to say go out there and hit the ball at twenty eight degree launch angle, like how do you know? Yeah. But if I were to tell you to, that your attack angle needs to be in this range, you hold the bat. Like this is how I'm getting into the zone. Like to me, that's the most important because that's the trigger. It's, it's like in the chain of events 
that has to happen before anything else happens. Right. When it comes to the exit velocity launch angle results, like you have to get into the zone before any of that. And so, like to me, the attack angle is huge. Yeah. Like how am I getting to the baseball? How am I attacking it? Like that's the one that is, is going to determine, in my opinion, um, you know, how the ball's hit, where it's hit, success and failure. Yeah. Yeah, we're 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 all on the same page with that. I I I, I guess the the launch angle thing. I I don't know. I it it's it, it doesn't really have a true definition to it. I guess. And when you look at Statcast and everything, people look at a launch angle and say, "Well, that that's great launch angle." But what about the launch angle when it's a different pitch and a different zone? I guess where attack angle sort of cuts through that and is more explanatory. Yeah, I think launch angle is easy for TV. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, I mean, it's it's very TV relatable, right? Yeah. Like, if you were to say, I, I mean, it's like a, bit, a game you play on your phone. Um, was there's a game called Tanks or something, mm-hmm. right? And you had to angle your tank to shoot these little things out to destroy these other tanks. Poor, t- terrible explanation, by the way. Yeah. But it, it's so easy. It's like that. The launch angle is easy to display on TV, and it, it's easy to explain. Like he hit this ball; it came off the bat at this angle. It's harder to explain attack angle because there's no result there. It's the process, mm-hmm. and we're, especially now we're in a society where nobody cares about the process. Like viewership doesn't want to know about the process; they want results. Yeah. And the launch angle is a result, and it's easy. Yeah. Unfortunately, so do players too, and and that's something yeah. that <laughs> within player development that is is the real challenge, I think, among other things. But that's a huge challenge. It, it is, but I think I think that sometimes, and I am guilty of it, we do not give the players enough credit mm-hmm. to understand, like, just to say, like, look, these are the differences. This is what's important. This is and this is why it's important. We don't give them enough credit to just say that and let yeah. them be like, oh yeah, I never knew. I'm going to stop worrying about this other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I am personally going through it this year, realizing, like, just telling guys, like, that's not important. Like, do this instead. Worry about this. This is why this isn't important. And you have most of the guys going, well, nobody ever explained it to me. Nobody even said that. And so then they start focusing on what they need to focus on, and Mm -hmm. then they become better hitters. And it's like, instead of just putting them away and saying these kids won't get it because this generation is so this is what we want like let's give them a little more credit yeah I think they'll surprise us yeah and and what have you done um what have you been doing to help hitters now with no no games no live game action how has that changed for you as a hitting coach I don't know if I'm helping anybody you have to ask the hitters yeah (laughs) um it's it, it's been really difficult um, because there's, as a coach, you have a little, you have control. Mm-hmm. You can maneuver your day, you can plan, you can schedule, and with no games and no contact, and everything's the onus is on the player, mm-hmm. like 100% to do everything. Um, you're kind of at the mercy of them and, and their video and what they say, what they feel. Um, and so it's it's been a it's been a challenge. It's been 
a, it's been a growth period for sure. I think. I think that you learn, you you find a way. You learn how yeah. to coach differently, mm-hmm. so that you can still help these guys because all these guys still want help. Um, and and it's I don't I don't know. It's just been hard. Yeah, it really yeah. has been. And I agree. You, you use the video. A lot of it is them videoing and sending it, and then we have conversations. We talk. Um, I'll send clips back. Uh, we use when the big league game started. We started looking at the big league hitters, so we have access to those. So it's it's been different, but with with the minor league guys, it's really just been like send me every video you can. Yeah. And then we can talk about it. Yeah, you know, I want to ask you. We, we mentioned Alejandro Kirk. Um, we talked about him off air as well, and how proud of him you are. You worked with him last year directly as as his hitting coach in a way. Um, at the advanced state level, and you probably would have worked with him again at the double-A level this year if there was a season. Um, but he's kind of in the minority in terms of a guy who comes right up and makes a splash right away. I've seen this year watching games, I've seen other guys, though, come up who should be in double-A, maybe maybe a little more seasoning in triple-A, um, even some in, that should be in advanced day, that are going up to the major league level with the expanded pool, and they're struggling. And they don't really look ready to hit big league pitching. Um, is that something that's going to affect the game, or is it the complete opposite, where or affect organizations in their development, or is it the complete opposite where they're getting major league experience, they know how far they are from getting to the big league, big leagues and, and succeeding, and, and going forward um, with success, and now you have sort of a starting point to map out their development for the future? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the org. Right, like some organizations are just way better at developing players than others. Yeah, and I think that that's proven without naming the good or the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's there's just so many factors. You know, I know that Kirky, there was a, it was a discussion with Kirky, like that's a big jump. Yeah, but with his maturity level mm-hmm. and the fact that he's just so damn good. Yeah he can hit mm-hmm. like I think that that eased a lot of words but like there are times where you think a guy's ready and he's not and depending on his maturity level or the patience of the org or however the org chooses to to harness his potential and what direction they want to go like I just think it, it it's very organizational dependent yeah yeah. Like I, like, I think even when I played, you saw rookies be younger and younger and younger. I got to see Jason Hayward go up as a 21-year-old. Freddie Freeman was up as a 20, 21-year-old too. Like, I got to see that they were really young. They flew through the system. They were uber talented, and like they're both still in the big leagues. Um, but both that was very rich one too. Where they could both handle it. Yeah. And, and so it's not like this is a new thing, but the game is getting younger and younger. And, you know, you have Tatis, you have Vladdy, you have Bo, Turkey, like, you got some pretty pretty good young baseball players out there right now. Yeah, somebody somebody brought up his, uh, on Twitter, I forget who it was, which, which hitting guru it was. I'm sure you love those hitting gurus, don't you, on Twitter. The hitting gurus? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even pretend to like them. Anybody that's a guru, I'm not. I'm very skeptical of. Yeah. Um, somebody brought up, though, um, 
I don't follow the hitting gurus. It's it's people that I do follow that like those posts that I'm like, okay, well now you're muted. Um, I'd rather hear about people's politics on Twitter than hitting gurus, for, quite frankly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I did, but somebody brought up his stride or his his timing step, and they said how he strides early, but they missed the fact that he also had has the momentum with the hips and the and the weight going to where it needs needs to be, so we can get into his torque position. When you're teaching hitters, though, somebody who's struggling um, with that timing step, because that's all it really is. Do you? How do you go about teaching or fixing that problem? Do you tell you encourage a leg kick? Do you encourage getting into their legs more? How do you? How do you approach that? I always encourage getting into the legs. Yeah. Um, I think it's like building a house. I've used that term for ever. Mm-hmm. Little kids all the way to pros. Like you got to build the foundation. That's your lower half. Um, but when it comes to the other stuff, it's so individual, and I, and I think that. It's crazy that anybody would say, like, well, no, you just got to like it, or no, you just got no strike, whatever. Like, it, it, that's not true. It's, it's very individual. And some players, that's what their body does. Their body works in space, and they want, they want to move and make big moves. And some players, their body doesn't work well that way, and so they need to minimize movement. And, and so I think it's very individualized. Yeah. Um, with a guy like Kirky, who, again, it's, didn't really struggle but the stuff we worked on was directional stuff if he was to have problems with his lower half there is a zero percent chance i'd be like hey take that knee to your chin really get that leg kick up there he can't do it yeah like he can't physically do it and that's not what he does anyway yeah um so it's so individual and it's it's getting to know the player like it's it's more than just watching video like getting to know the player Understanding what they what they want to do, what they feel, and then kind of building off that, and hopefully you don't have to change what they're doing, right? Like give them a whole new idea in the middle of the season really messes with them. Mm-hmm. But if you do, at least you have an understanding of, of what they're thinking, so you can maneuver your way into hopefully making a big change that that will help them be better. Um, but when it comes to that stuff, I try to build off what they're working. Yeah. And that's totally individual based on the player, and then then we go from there. So really, it, it's don't put too much importance in the timing step. It's more directional and, and bat path type uh, stuff. I think it's all important. Okay. Uh, okay. I think timing timing is uh, we talk about it, but there's so many different aspects of timing. Yeah. Um. That and we always talk about being late because no like, nobody wants to be late. But like, how are you late? Are you late starting? Are you late delivering? Are you late recognizing? Like, there's so many different aspects of timing that, like, that is huge. And I'm not saying it's not. I was using Kirky's example just because his issue has always been directional. It was never a timing issue. Um, When it comes to timing, again, there's just so many different factors. Like, if a guy's late, I'm trying to think of a guy that was – I don't know, like Casey Clemens last year. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was late a bunch, missing underneath. Like we eliminated, we we went from scratch and got got him into a new position to where he could be on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a guy like Samad last year who started. He was he was also late on so many balls because he was starting early. Yeah, which I know doesn't make sense, but. 
he was starting so early that he was actually delivering a swing later. And so there's just so many different timing aspects that I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. You're, you're speaking about Samad Taylor, who I was just telling a story to, a story about to the other day. He um, is quite the character, that Samad. He is. Yeah. He's good people. He's, uh, he is good people. Good hands. Very good hands in the field, I think. Certainly. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of potential in there. Still, still excited to see him actually unleash the fury. But, you know, with him, he's a good example. He's five, what would you say? We'll be fair here. Five, nine? Height-wise? Yeah. No, he's like five eight. Okay, five eight. I'm, he's I'm shorter than me. And we both know that I'm not five eight. Okay. Well, people tend to overestimate their height all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm guilty of it. Okay, so he's 5'8". All right, we'll give him 5'8". A guy like that, he is is having a leg kick better for him in terms of gaining more power and getting into his legs more? Or is it, again, really not that important? Or or at least with other stuff? He, he's a great example because in the last two years, because I've had him for two years, we've literally tried everything. Mm -hmm. like, with the exception of putting him in the left-handed batter's box. Yeah. Um, or standing up there like Tony Batista where he's super like straight facing him or Julio Franco. Like we've tried everything. Yeah. Um he's been able he's we've toe tapped, we've leg kicked, we've no strided, we've tucked, we've I mean we've there I if you've got something else, throw it throw it at me. But um I don't know. It it with him, his is all about control and if he can control the move, he can make moves, but sometimes he doesn't control the moves, and mm -hmm. so if you can't control them, you're not really making them, right? Yeah. So it's like, there would be times where it's like, yeah, get the leg up. Like, let's leg kick. And then sure. there's times where it's like, no, let's no stride. And, and we we've done um, they went to last last off season before spring training this year. Mm -hmm. I think May Paul Elliott worked with him a bunch. Um, I did Corey Hart mm -hmm. and and uh, really really got with where he kind of spread out a little bit, opened up a little bit. Didn't really eliminate, like didn't go no stride, but kind of tucked it in. Mm -hmm tucked his knee and, and I think that it, it allowed him to make a, a move that feels as big but he's able to control more and, and I know that last year in his spring training he looked really damn good yeah so let's let's shift to the mental side here um, hitting's all we, we, you've already talked about and you've said it to me before in the past but you've said it on this show as well on this episode about how hitting is a conversation or at least you've alluded to it how, how do you go about, and this is something you worked with with, with Reggie Pruitt um, from what Reg told me um, last year, uh, working on that mental side of hitting. Um, how do you go about helping hitters develop a plan? We know we, you know, we have hitters meetings, and, and I've inadvertently been in those hitters meetings when I've gone to get something from the cafeteria. Um, but what, what do you, how do you do, how do you help develop, they are, I, I, I find them fun, but I'm also, you know, I'm also a boomer, so... At least to some of the some of the kids. So, how do you go about helping um, develop a plan for a hitter or individually to helps them kind of think along with the pitcher? I, I think that there's 
like there's a difference between a plan and an approach. Um, I think your approach is your overarching, like, this is, this is who I want to be. And I think your plan is your individual game. This is how I'm going to attack this pitch. Okay. Right. And so again, like you said, it's very individual and, and you just got to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think a really good example personally is Ryan Noda. Um, two years ago, before we went, before we broke uh, for Lansing, he and I were in the cage, and, and his whole deal was, I want to hit every ball the other way, in all his work, and even in BP. And so I asked him, and I think the year before he like 350 in the Abbey League, one one MVP. Um, proved he could hit and, and I asked him you know he's like 6'4", 230, 220 I don't want to over I don't want to make him sound too big but um, I asked him like if you were to make a lineup where do you hit like what kind of hitter yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that's the real question before you can really help a guy develop their approach to who they who they are you gotta find out who they think they are yeah. and who they want to be and then you try to help him be the best version of that. And so with him, again, great example, because his whole idea was I'm trying to hit everything that way. And he didn't really have a rhyme or reason other than I like hitting 350. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him, like, are you going to hit 350 again this year? Like, do you think we want you to hit 350 or do you think we want you to hit, like, 280 with 20? Right. I think... I think we want you to hit home runs. I don't know. I after you, I wasn't here last year, but like that would be my like. I'm guessing you're gonna hit three, four, five, and we're gonna want you to hit home runs. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's that's who I think I am. And just so getting him to understand that, and then finally, like unleashing him, allowing himself to unleash the pull side and, and really try to drive the baseball a little bit more instead of just settling for the for the base hits the other way I think really helped him out but it's that that's kind of the process of it like you got to find out who they who they want to be mm-hmm. who they think they are and who they want to be and then go from there yeah and I'm looking at his statistics from last year right now on my phone last year with Dunedin he hit 256 and in 117 games he had 13 home runs so I think he sort of I forgot he hit that many home runs by the way yeah, he's six three two seventeen. By the way, so you were kind of, you were right yeah. on that as well. He hit, he hit, he hit like two thirty something, right? I think yeah, uh, two fifty six. I saw. Well, no, look. he did not hit two fifty six last year. Let me look again. No way. Hold on, let me look again here. I think it was like two thirty five. I might be looking at the wrong year. Oh, okay, you're right. He had two fifty six in Lansing he, the year before. Yeah. He had two thirty eight last year. Two thirty eight, thirteen seventy four. On base, 372, slugging, 418, OPS, 790. Yeah, it was the best 238 I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and I, and I, the year before, and I've told him this, it was the worst 20 and 80 year I've ever seen, where he had 20 homers, 80 RBIs. Because mm-hmm. um, it was just so up and down. Yeah. So hot and so cold. But I thought what he did last year was incredible. Like, it was so consistent. It was just, it was the Florida State League. Yeah. Like, you the guy hits the ball as hard as anybody, and he's still like you. You might it might have been the game that I got thrown out, but in Daytona, he absolutely destroyed a ball to right center, mm-hmm. 
that is a home run in every big league ballpark. Yeah. And the guy catches it like jumping up into the fence. Yeah. I do remember like, that. Yeah, the like, wind. Like, the wind. It's just, yeah. he, he was very unlucky, I think, last year. And like, he's got something special in there. And, and finding out, like, finding out who he wants to be is, is kind of how how you approach getting through to those guys to help him turn into the best version of himself. Yeah. So, but he can hit. So that's so well, everything you just said there uh, was tremendous, and here's why: because we see online so much about mechanics, and people fight about you know, hitting mechanics and whatnot. But what we forget is that the hitter needs to understand who they are. I mean, you mentioned it right there with Ryan. I didn't know this story where he said, "I want to be a 350 hitter." Well, and then you you brought forth another plan to him, and maybe another approach, and he said, "Okay, that's what I want to be." I mean, they have to understand what they want to be. Before having before just talking constant mechanics like this is the right mechanic. Well, no, this is right. It doesn't really matter if they don't know who they are as a hitter. Yeah, I agree, and I think mechanics like are necessary, but I also think they're overrated. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're, we get we we get in the minutia of mechanics too much. Yeah, and we don't we forget that like you have the worst mechanics of all time. If you find barrel. Like, they're outliers, but if you find barrel, like, I don't care. Nobody's teaching players today how to hit like Julio Franco. Right. Right? But nobody stopped him from doing it. Yeah. Because the guy won batting titles and he still breaks at 60 years old right now. Yeah. Like, like they're important, but, like, knowing your players and, and, like, learning how to stay out of the way, I think sometimes is just as important, if not more important. Yeah, well, why is there? Why has there been, in your eyes, an obsession with the mechanics and 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 this t- hitting Twitter? Why is this developed into it's what easy. it has? It's easy. It's easy. Yeah. It's just like the launch angle stuff. It's easy. You have videos. You can stop it, and then you can say like some people out there like just do it like this guy. Yeah. And there's no understanding of what that guy's thinking, what his process is, because most most of the time hitters. In their minds, we all have this idea of I have to do this, yeah. with the knowledge that if I think this way, this is what's actually going to happen. So it's the same as a guy that thinks like a lot of old school guys, like I come down on the baseball, I come down on the baseball. When we know that they're not hitting the baseball coming down, right? But we also know through video, just to throw the spoiler out there, is like. Their first move with their hands is actually down, so that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But they're not hitting down the baseball like they're chopping wood. But that's a it's a mental cue that's going to allow you to actually make the right swing. So it's like you can't just throw up a video and say just copy this because yeah. it, it doesn't work that way. But I think that's why it's there's the obsession because it's easy. Yeah. And that and if I, I mean I've done lessons, most of the lessons I used to do. We do talk mechanics, but it's still we. T- I tend to stay with the approach, mixing in mechanics, saying try to do this, or we do external cues and let guys be athletic. Yeah. Um, and let their bodies kind of take over. Yeah. But most lessons, which is a booming industry right now, um, like it's let's just talk mechanics because those are results. And with parents sitting behind, like it's really hard for a parent for you as an instructor to be like, yeah, so we, we talked about his approach to go to the, to the pull side left center gap, 
like doing that's going to allow him to do this and you have a dad going well so what did he change in his swing right <laughs> and it's like well all these other things happened because he was thinking this like yeah. you know so it's well then I'm not going to spend money I can do that right so I think that there's a there's a fine line where where the industry is the private instruction industry is heavy on mechanics and it's kind of leak. we're seeing that leak into just everyday I mean social media makes it easier but yeah. it's easy yeah. it's easy to see mechanical flaws it's well, amazing that you don't see guys post mechanical flaws on fastballs down the middle Yeah. right like every time you see a guy swing and miss and they post it on Twitter it's like change up or a breaking ball down that they chase and it's like well yeah when your timing's off, your mechanics break down. If you're going to chase, your mechanics break down. Yeah. Like, but when you're on time, your mechanics, 99% of the time, your mechanics are money. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. And also, too, that it seems like some instructors like to use these big scientific words to confuse everybody. And I don't, I don't understand that either. I guess I'm just not as smart. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand that either. I don't. Sorry. And I, I'm into training and fitness, and I'm going to work out, and we get to, get off here. Um, and I understand the body, but some of the, the the ways they explain things and how it relates to hitting to me is is I'm asking myself, okay, is that smart when we have a fastball coming at 95 plus, and then you mix in this, the you know the hook, and and for them to be thinking yeah. about that, I don't I don't I don't understand it. I don't either. I, I think that I think that there's an art in coaching. And I'm not saying I'm a good artist, um, but the art in coaching is like take something uber complicated, like hitting a baseball at 100 miles an hour, and you try to make it simple so that these really talented baseball players right now yeah. that are doing things that 99% of the world can't do can be successful. Yeah, like you're trying to simplify things while still getting the message across and still helping them learn. Yeah trying to show these guys how smart you are by using words that nobody understands <laughs> it doesn't help anybody i don't think well that good it's a, that's a good good time to uh to leave it right there that was uh, a good explanation before i let you go uh who do you who's not on the not in the who was not in the player pool this year who do you see as, from your coaching perspective i got my guys from where i sit but who do you see in the organization blue jays um who might surprise people in the next few years um, as hitters? Uh, Logan Warmoth and Chavez Young. Okay. What about Reggie? Reggie Reggie Pruitt. Um, I think I'd like to see Reggie do it one more year. Mm-hmm. I believe. Um, you know, he's just had he's he's had he's struggled to find consistency for mm-hmm. most of his career. Last year he did it. I want to see him do it again. Yeah. Uh, I liked what I saw. In spring training, he, mm-hmm. he developed a little bit of a hitch that I think he was cleaning up when we got banged for COVID. But um, he's another one because he plays premium defense, premium position. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my I would say the two that are at the top of my list are Shavi and, and Logan. Yeah, I forgot about Shavi and how how versatile he is defensively as well. Yeah, and he rakes switch hitter. Yeah. I think he. I think I think his year last year was definitely an aberration. That was a lot of. A lot of personal issues that right. were going on. Yeah. That when he finally got his feet under him and, and could mute the noise around him. Yeah. Like we saw what he did in the second half, and I thought it was really good. Yeah, and he had that on base streak, which was uh, 
which was very impressive as well. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Yeah, now we're going we're going inside here. We've got a we got a broad audience, so now <laughs> going in, going inside the Blue Jays here. All right, well, Matt, thanks for joining us today on the lab, and um, we will uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, man. It's good. Look good. To good episode. And of course, again, our thanks to Matt Young for joining us on this week's episode number twenty-four of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. Jake will be back with us next week. And we'll be discussing internal and external cues when training players. That'll be a lot of fun. And it's also, I think, a very important topic to discuss. A lot of times those two get intertwined. And while sometimes it's appropriate, they should be separate as well. So we'll be talking about that episode number 25 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast next week. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast. Um, for new episodes every Monday at 9 a.m., wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to email us as well, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Again, thanks to Matt for joining us as our special co-host, and we will talk to you next week. Take care.